Welcome to British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd. You can find me at carolannlloyd.com or at at History on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please follow so we can explore history together. This month at Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, we're leaning into romance big time. It's February, so it's Valentine's Month. We'll be exploring the most famous and infamous love stories of history and literature. I'm asking for your input, so get ready to share your thoughts about romance. Welcome to Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. This month, it's all about the romantics. I'm slanting the history of you to have us think about how fiction both is shaped by and shapes the history it portrays. We're doing this with one of the most beloved and popular writers about love, Jane Austen. More than 200 years after her death, which was marked by an explosion of celebrations and books and merchandise and movies and television specials in 2017, Jane Austen continues to be one of the most popular authors and most widely read authors in the world. So what is it about Jane Austen? Why does she remain so popular? Doesn't she write silly chick lit? No. Jane Austen is a serious author who considers the pitfalls of her culture and society, who lays bare the issues that restricted the options of women in her time, and who raises questions about the very institution that fills her novels, marriage. Jane Austen may offer us romance, but she is not a romantic novelist. So let's take a look at Jane Austen and her novels, and let's take a look at those couples and how we feel about them today. Thank you to all of you who chimed in and shared your favorite Jane Austen couple. I'm delighted to share the results, but I want to lay a little bit of groundwork first. About a year ago, when the latest version of Emma came out, Devaney Lusser wrote an article in the Washington Post and shared and debunked some myths about Jane Austen. Let's take a look at some of them. One myth is that Jane Austen's life was boring. That idea started with her brother, Henry, who wrote in his biographical note at the beginning of the first edition of Northanger Abbey and Persuasion that she lived, quote, a life by no means full of event. Huh. That attitude has been trotted out repeatedly, despite its falsehood. She lived a life full of event. She spent a great deal of time in Bath, a resort town. She went to London frequently and enjoyed going to the theater there. Her aunt was arrested and charged with shoplifting. Her exciting cousin Eliza became a widow when her husband was sent to the guillotine during the French Revolution. Then she managed to get herself back to England and become Jane Austen's sister-in-law. Pretty eventful. Another claim of Henry's was that Jane was, quote, fearful of giving offense to God. He portrayed Jane as a religious person who wrote nice novels about families. This representation certainly isn't reflected in those novels. They are full of seductions, adultery, unwed mothers, and prostitution. Even primary characters such as Lydia Bennet and Wickham run away together and have to be forced to marry. Willoughby is hiding the truth about a seduction and a love child. 
scandal as far as the eye can see. There's also the myth that Jane Austen was an unknown author who simply wrote because she enjoyed writing and did not seek recognition or money. In fact, Austen published her first novels, Sense and Sensibility, as, quote, by a lady, and Pride and Prejudice as by the author of Sense and Sensibility. But her novels were very popular, and Jane Austen enjoyed making money. Her novels attracted attention during her lifetime. Her most highly placed fan was the Prince Regent himself, who was so taken with her novels that he requested, which meant commanded, that she dedicate Emma to him. So, in reality, Jane Austen was a lively woman who enjoyed writing and sought to make money doing it. She wasn't crazy about the Prince Regent, something she admitted to her sister Cassandra, but she did make the dedication, knowing it would help sales. She was a talented storyteller who started writing as a child, creating a hilarious history of England when she was just 15 years old. She wrote in a time when women did not write for money, and there are descriptions of her writing secretly and hiding work when when visitors arrived. But write she did, producing some of the best-loved novels of all time. About the Novels As I did my own survey about couples, I had to turn to others to see how the different novels are ranked in various ways. A Publishers Weekly employee who's a longtime member of the Jane Austen Society of North America ranks the novels this way. Northanger Abbey first. Well, that surprised me. Persuasion second. Pride and Prejudice third. Third. Emma fourth. Sense and Sensibility fifth. And Mansfield Park sixth. Hmm. The Reader, a website in the UK, ranked the novels from 6th to 1st this way. Mansfield Park, 6th. Northanger Abbey, 5th. Sense and Sensibility, 4th. Emma, 3rd. Persuasion, 2nd. And Pride and Prejudice, 1st. That's more like it. About a year ago, Radio Times gave it a go, and the novels landed in this order. 1st, Pride and Prejudice. 2nd, Emma. 3rd, Northanger Abbey. 4th, Sense and Sensibility. 5th, Persuasion, and 6th, Manfield Park. Mansfield Park. So, there you go. We all have our own favorites. Vox took a different approach, which I loved, and suggested what each novel does best. Northanger Abbey, funniest. Sense and Sensibility, most well-rounded. Pride and Prejudice, most charming. Mansfield Park, most psychologically complex. Maybe that's why it keeps ranking number 6th. And Emma, cleverest with a note that Austin created the art of free indirect discourse for Emma, and finally, Persuasion Most Beautiful. These are all novels about relationships, families and friends, and especially lovers. There are some classic literary themes, love at first sight, enemies turning to lovers, love triangles, etc. But Austin creates such memorable characters that even a basic premise is brought to life in an unforgettable way about families. Jane Austen novels are about families. There are brothers and many sisters. There are parents. There are children. Families fall apart. Families come together. New families are created. There are fathers, like Mr. Dashwood, who die, causing a crisis. There are fathers, like Mr. Bennett, who will die and cause a crisis. There are missing mothers, especially in Highbury. There are family members who move to live with other families. There are people brought in and considered to be like family. Austin's focus on families explores the dynamics of interpersonal relationships, something we all share. And in the novel, it's mostly about courtship, 
and marriage. Most of the primary characters throughout the novels are involved somehow with courtship and or marriage, and less often, love. For white middle-class women, which is the extent of Jane Austen's world, acquiring a husband is the most important decision of a woman's life. In that world, marriage couldn't happen without some impact on money and economics. Why do people get married? Men got married to increase their income, especially when they were not the eldest son set to inherit an estate or fortune. Men also sought a wife who could further their ambitions and standing and influence in society. And of course, a wife was necessary to secure an heir. Let's look at some of those marrying men in Austen's novels. To introduce them, I want to share Barnes & Noble's list of the 15 most important men in Austen's novels, ranked from worst to first. Coming in last at number 15, George Wickham of Pride and Prejudice, handsome but depraved. 14, Willoughby from Sense and Sensibility. A few readers have found some sympathy for him, but his pattern of using women keeps him at the bottom of this list. 13, William Elliot of Persuasion. He turns out to be a gold digger and threatens Anne's relationship. 12, Henry Crawford of Mansfield Park. He convinces Fanny to fall for him, but ultimately runs off with her married cousin. 11, Mr. Collins of Pride and Prejudice. Not evil and not exactly unkind, but so clueless. 10, Mr. Elton of Emma. Engaging enough early on, but so easily led into a less-than-Christ-like view of others by his wife. 9. Frank Churchill of Emma. Possibly redeemed at the end, but so careless with people's feelings. Number 8. Edmund Bertram from Mansfield Park. Trifling in nature and drops Fanny quickly when he thinks he has a better option. 7. Edward in Sense and Sensibility. Charming, but leads Eleanor on when he is engaged to Lucy Steele. And by the way, that engagement displays an alarming lack of good sense. Six, Colonel Brandon in Sense and Sensibility, a good, kind, generous man whose main drawback is his age, which isn't his fault. Also, he's played by Alan Rickman. Five, Mr. Knightley and Emma. He's always correcting Emma, but she needs it. And he's willing to live with Mr. Woodhouse after marrying Emma. Four, Henry Tilney in Northanger Abbey. Kind, witty, thoughtful, and handsome. He's a real charmer. Three, Bingley in Pride and Prejudice. Charming and so kind, as well as wealthy, but too easily led by his sisters and his friend. Number two, Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. We see his progress through his interactions with the gardeners and at Pemberley. And that leads to that second proposal. And number one, Captain Wentworth of Persuasion. That letter, the most romantic moment ever, and he pulls it off beautifully. Henry Tilney sees marriage in clear forms, noting that, quote, man has the advantage of choice and woman only the power of refusal. As far as he can see, this is true. But is it always? Men also must marry to advance their lives. The choice can be limited as the chosen one does not always agree. Shocking as it is, women sometimes exercise that power of refusal. Elizabeth Bennet does so twice, stunning both Mr. Collins and Mr. Darcy. Mr. Collins ends up creating a little narrative about a woman first saying no to increase the affection of the man in question. Elizabeth dismisses that notion and assures him that her refusal stands. He then explains she may never have another offer. She still doesn't agree to marry him. And she does have another offer. 
caught up in fresh anger at Darcy for his treatment of Wickham and his interference in Jane and Bingley's budding romance, Elizabeth is surprised to hear Darcy declare that he admires and loves her and wants to marry her. Her response is brief and clear. No. Darcy's surprise at her rejection is reflected in his anger. He seeks to salve his heart by reasoning that if he had flattered her instead of insulting her, she might have said yes. She assures him he could not have asked in any way that would have induced her to accept him. Ouch! The difference is, of course, that Elizabeth has judged Mr. Collins accurately, but has misjudged Darcy. His determination to make her understand and read his letter displays a desire to have her see him in a better light. He still cares about what she thinks. Mr. Collins moves on quickly because his proposal didn't come from any real feelings. He wanted to get married because Lady Catherine had told him to, and he thought it would be a good thing for a clergyman, and he thought it would make him happy. Darcy wants to get married because he has fallen in love. He's angry at the answer because he's in love. Her power of refusal was greater than his power of choice, at least for the time being. Is that women's only power, that of refusal? I don't think so. I think Charlotte Lucas is the driving force in her becoming engaged to Mr. Collins after Elizabeth refuses him. Charlotte sees her chance and she takes it. She is practical about marriage. She wants a respectable husband and a home of her own. Mr. Collins fits the bill. She describes herself as not romantic. In fact, she is clear-headed and perhaps, therefore, less likely to be disappointed. She knows exactly what she is getting and she chooses it. I wonder if Mr. Collins might find himself a little surprised at being engaged to Charlotte Lucas when he had come planning to marry one of the Bennett girls. Other men's choices are thwarted as well. Edward's choice of Lucy Steele is never explained, and by the time we meet her, we certainly can't understand it. Having made that choice, Edward is not free to choose Eleanor Dashwood, the woman he really loves. Wentworth chooses Anne Elliot when they are both young, but she is convinced to end their engagement. He loses his choice as well. Wickham chose Lydia without any intention of marrying her, and then he was forced to marry her. That wasn't his choice. So Austin's men sometimes seem to have a bit trouble of trouble getting married. What about Austin's women? Why do they get married? For women, marriage is a means to financial survival and security. It is usually the best option. An example of this is Jane Fairfax. When it appears that her secret engagement will come to nothing, she begins to look for employment as a governess. In taking that step, she will lose her independence and trade a sense of self for a sense of security. It is only rarely that a woman can choose to remain unmarried. In Austin, it's really only Emma Woodhouse who is independently wealthy enough to remain single, and she ends up deciding to get married as well. As we did with the men, let's look at how Jane Austen's heroines stand up. Here are some responses to an article in The Atlantic asking for favorite female characters in Austen. A few enjoyable, but not quite at the top. Catherine Moreland, one Atlantic lover, one Atlantic reader loves Catherine Moreland because she wants to make life a fun story. And Eleanor Dashwood, another reader, relates to Eleanor because she's really more complex than she appears at first glance. Here are a couple of almost winners. Emma. The choice of the Atlanta article author, several readers, and possibly Jane Austen herself. 
Emma is a flawed character, and Austin once wrote that she thought most readers won't like Emma. But she needn't have worried. Readers love Emma, flaws and all. But she wasn't the top vote-getter. Elizabeth Bennet. Many readers voted for Elizabeth because of her humor, intelligence, and independence. Elizabeth is smart and knows her own mind. She's also a loving and loyal sister and friend. She can laugh at herself and the world around her. Her flaws are fascinating, and she's willing to admit mistakes. As Jane Austen imagined, Elizabeth Bennet is widely loved, but she didn't quite win the contest. The top vote-getter, the most popular Austen heroine in that Atlantic article, Anne Elliot. Anne's not the wittiest or the prettiest or the most charismatic, and she might not be the obvious choice, but her maturity, kindness, and fortitude through heartbreak won the hearts of readers. Anne Elliot has allowed a level of maturity we don't get to see in other characters. She has grown up. She admits she made mistakes, and she takes responsibility for her life and chooses a more loving future. More than any other Austen heroine, she embodies hope. Now, money is at or near the heart of most matters facing women in Jane Austen's novels. When Pride and Prejudice begins with one of the absolutely best first sentences in the history of the written world, it lays this out. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a large fortune must be in want of a wife. The sentence is phrased to be read aloud as it often would have been in Austen's time. But in addition to the perfection of the cadence, there's the irony of the unspoken other universal truth. Should that man lose his fortune? He may want a wife, but he almost certainly won't be the subject of attention of the women around him. Many women in Austin marry for money or at least for security. That was a reality of the time. Women relied almost entirely on the incomes of their fathers or their husbands for survival. But in Austin, the world is not left to the practical Charlotte Lucas and Mr. Collins pairings. Couples manage to find love and happiness as well. So that brings me to the couples bound by love and enthusiasm for each other and hope, not just for survival, but also fun. It's no surprise that the favorite male and female characters often end up marrying each other and creating favorite couples. So let's look at some of your favorite Jane Austen couples and what we learn from them. Admiral and Sophie Croft in Persuasion. I love this choice because it was so unexpected. The Crofts are a family that represents how much life is changing in their world. He is making his way in the world in the Navy, a new field opening up because of the ongoing wars. Sophie Croft, his wife of 15 years, is someone who married for love and enjoys her life, even though she's not a mistress of her own home and her own household. The Crofts are not living the traditional life most Austin's characters strive for, and they are enjoying themselves tremendously. Henry Tilney and Catherine Moreland of Northanger Abbey. A few of you thought Henry and Catherine the most endearing and engaging couple. They don't have the traditional features of a star couple. Their looks are described as lacking, and so are their financial prospects. Why do they work so well? Because they enjoy themselves and each other. They have fun, and it feels like they really work together. Marianne and Brandon in Sense and Sensibility. Several of you voted for them. Brandon is a complicated man, and Marianne's initial thoughts about him center on his age rather than his positive qualities. But he has many positive qualities, and he is devoted to Marianne. 
He's set up as the contrast to the young, handsome, dashing Willoughby, the man who captures Marianne's heart instantly and completely. But for all his charm, Willoughby deserts Marianne and marries for money. Brandon remains steadfast in his affections, and Marianne agrees to marry him. Austin assures us that, quote, Marianne could never love by halves, and her whole heart became, in time, as much devoted to her husband as it had once been to Willoughby. Captain Wentworth and Anne Elliot in Persuasion Persuasion feels different from Austen's earlier novels. The characters are older and a bit wearied by the rapidly changing world. Austen shows us the inner lives of her characters in Persuasion, and we see Anne struggle as Wentworth comes back into her life. Anne and Captain Wentworth spend the novel getting to know each other again, wondering if it might be possible to rekindle the love that was broken when she broke off their engagement eight years before. A perfect scene unfolds when Wentworth hears Anne haltingly explain why a woman would find it impossible to fall out of love. Wentworth scrambles with his papers, becoming agitated. The tension builds until he quietly slips a letter to Anne, begging her to read it with a look. It's one of the most powerful and romantic scenes in all of Austen. Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice By a slim margin, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet took the top spot for favorite couple. Their dazzling relationship has a terrible start. They are completely unimpressed with each other. Darcy finding Elizabeth tolerable, I suppose, but not handsome enough to tempt me. Elizabeth is equally unimpressed. Darcy's feelings change more quickly, but his first proposal is a disaster. The letter he gives her begins in anger, but reveals mostly his desperation for her to understand him. She comes to realize she misjudged him and Wickham, who helpfully behaves abominably, and then Darcy goes about learning to be nice. When they next meet at Pemberley, they are well on their way to the second proposal, a happy ending, and that top spot as favorite couple. Well, thank you for joining me to reminisce about Jane Austen and love stories. Next week, we'll continue this journey by looking at a love story that literally changed the face of London. Just look at all those buildings dedicated to him, Victoria and Albert. Till then. Thank you so much for listening to Stories of Romantics in Days Gone By. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe, share, leave a rating, leave a comment, and especially let me know what you think. History shows us what's possible. Please join me next time as we explore history together. Cheers. Cheers.